Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Amen. Well, take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of Certainty. That's the Gospel of Luke. It's the third uh, book of the uh, New Testament. And uh, we're going to consider uh, a sermon I've entitled, uh, it's not new with me, Benedictus. And uh, that's a a well-known title for some of you. We often don't speak Latin here at Grace Community, but uh, we mentioned the other week the Magnificat. That was uh, the wonderful song there of Mary, Magnificat. Your friends may uh, use those words. You know, oh, I know what they're talking about. And the Benedictus is the same. And in here, now it's Zachariah's turn to sing a song uh, uh, after uh, nine months of silence. And he uh, praises and blesses God and honors him. And it's called the Benedictus. And so it's good for you to know that. Well, it is true, isn't it? Is it not that we live in a world of broken promises? We have all failed at that, have we? Have we not? We have. Our world is filled with it. It's rampant with it. Uh, it, uh, it seems that all sorts of commitments are made between people only to be broken when keeping them seems inconvenient. Talk about a real inconvenient truth or lack of it. It happens nationally when uh, nations make uh, promises and treaties and all the rest and then break them. You just look at your history book, it's filled with it. Look at your newspaper. You know, I thought you were going to do this. I thought you were going to do that. They don't do it. Nations do it. The UN, oh my. It happens nationally. It happens in families. Marriages are scattered and children scattered. Broken hearts. Promises, promises from dads to sons don't happen. I'll take you to the ball game. I'll do this or do that. We'll go fishing. And all kinds of things, you know. And they hurt, painful. And we know what that is. And we're guilty of it, aren't we? It happens in the workplace where promotions and raises were promised. I thought you said I'd get a raise or I was to get that job. And doesn't happen, uh, someone else gets it, or not at all, broken promises, commitments, brokenness. It happens in friendships, doesn't it? They, they, they're very painful. A friend uh, breaks an expressed or even an unexpressed commitment, and it hurts, it hurts. And the closer they are to you, the more it hurts. It doesn't matter if someone out there to you so much, uh, breaks their word, but it does when you're counting on it. And it doesn't happen, and it hurts. And guys don't often shed tears, but we may at points, it hurts. And women tend to be more teary-eyed, and they cry. Well, here's, here's, here's the word, never forget. This is the good news. God is not like us. 
a lot of times we'll project the image of God to be sort of an image of our father. And if he was a tyrant, uh, sometimes we have a hard time overcoming the reality that God is a loving God, a loving father. God is not like us. He always keeps his word. He always keeps his promise. Always, always. I say to you, how wonderful is that? How wonderful. I mean, we may be gun-shy and we go like, is it really true? You know, we've been so disappointed by so many, personally and family, at work, at school, on the, on the team, nationally, internationally. We go like, could it ever be so? And even in the church, in the church family. The reality is, is that we don't always keep our word, do we? We may strive to, but things happen. Or it's beyond us and we're not able to. Or surprises. I didn't see that curveball coming. And we're not able to follow through on what we've said. God is not like us. It ought to be a foundational bedrock in your heart. So when bad news comes, or this or that, that God is always the keeper of his word, you can take it to the bank. I should qualify that because I just read 101 banks went under, the, and the bank is solvent. Okay, how about that? Be encouraged. All right, God is not like us. He always keeps his word. How wonderful it is. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Luke, uh, in his gospel, the gospel of certainty, remember, that's his purpose, so that you might know for sure, the gospel of certainty. He continues in this gospel to interweave the birth stories of both John and Jesus. Not that they're parallel, but they're the two greatest that were ever born. And yet, uh, one is, um, is infinitely greater than the other, but uh, Jesus said there's none greater born among men than John. And uh, Luke, uh, as he carefully writes this under the inspiration of the Spirit, weaves the two birth accounts together, the mothers, the songs, the birthing, the amazement. I mean, it's beautiful. I love uh, reading Phil Riken, pastor of 10th Press, his commentary on it's like an oratorio. Some of you have no idea what that is. And I'm not into more of the highbrow music. I know you guys know what that is with Christine. But it's like an oratorio, he said. It's uh, one sings and then the other sings. You think of the f- mother of, of uh, John and the mother of Jesus and, the, and then the father of John. And then they, they meet together and rejoice. And, and an oratorio is like that. One sings and then a second sings. And then they join together and harmonize and one falls away, and the other sings, and then the, then the second one sings, and then it, uh, there's a crescendo. And, and it, it, it's sort of beautifully laid out like that in the opening chapter of Luke's Gospel. It's beautiful. What was at stake in the birth of these two babies, I remind you, was nothing less than the salvation of the world. Supremely important. Of course, the Lord Jesus, but God had promised a forerunner, an announcer, a preparer, one who would come before and, and, and prepare the hearts and minds of people for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Well, three simple truths this morning is all we have. Three simple truths discovered about God as we listen to the record of John's birth. And I suggest to you that each of these 
ought to cause a song in your heart. It ought to cause you to rejoice. I mean, we sing of the coming of Christ at Christmas, but, you know, Christmas songs, I don't, we always sing them at Christmas time, three and a half weeks. We get, there you go, put it away after. We ought to sing it all the time. Praise God, Emmanuel, God with us. John's coming was the announcing of, the, of God visiting planet Earth, you know? That's what God was doing. He's getting ready to visit planet Earth. They say our astronauts are getting ready to go to the moon again. You know, they went there a number of times. How exciting was that? I got something even more exciting. It was the day when God went right past the moon and visited planet Earth went by all the other galaxies and all the other in the entire universe that God was going to visit. Amazing, wonderful. That's the story of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Well, uh, we're not simply going to recount uh, and then unfold the obvious in the narrative, this uh, writing, but we want to see God's hand and the lessons he has behind uh, his story here in Luke's gospel. So let's pick it up at Luke chapter 1, if you would, and let's, uh, let's look at verse 57 as we begin this account of John's birth. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, his name is to be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. And then they made signs to his father, that's Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak, praising God. And the neighbors were all filled with awe. Throughout the whole, the, the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And continuing, now he's under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, Luke writes and tells us what Zechariah actually said or sung in verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, and it's po poetic, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and he has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he had said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, 
You give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert, the wilderness, until he appeared publicly to Israel. Well, I say to you in this account we just read that There are many truths, but we're going to just focus on three truths. Most of it is a reminder. You know, most of biblical truth is reminding us, if you've been saved very long, of the things that we really know for sure. Our tendency is to to lose it. We get rusty. We get focused on the here and now. The life's ups and down remind us to be reminded from God's word of his truth. And there are three of them we discover we listen or eavesdrop into the nursery, if you will, of the birth of this John who would be called the Baptist. And our response ought to be melodious. Well, the first truth I've already intimated is that God always keeps his word. Always. Always. All of his promises will be fulfilled. For God says what he means, and he means what he says. That's worth writing in the very front of your Bible. You know that? You get a few of those little jingles like that that really codify a lot of biblical truth. They're like it's a gold nugget. God means what he says, and he says what he means. Again, how unlike us, right? We may mean well, but we misspeak. I didn't know, you know. Or I wanted to do that, but I wasn't able to do it. God always performs that which he says, always, always. And we see just a few examples of it in this little brief narrative. How do we see it? Well, A, God had told through his angel Gabriel that Elizabeth was going to have a baby, even in her old age. Wow. And so she did. Verse 57, you're going to have your wife, Zechariah, remember that? I remind you in the, t- in, in the temple. It was his highlight of his career. He was there uh, only one time in his whole life. And there he is. God's timing is amazing. And uh, God visits him through his angel, gives the message, your wife, you're an old priest now, but your wife is going to have a baby. And... Elizabeth is given strength to conceive and to carry the baby. It's one thing to conceive a child, but to carry the child and then have the strength to deliver a child. You see, God means what he says, and he says what he means. He's not throwing dice. He's not up in heaven saying, well, I hope this happens. I, you know what I told them? I hope No. No, you got the wrong idea of God. He's omnipotent, almighty Lord of hosts. He knows the future because he has a plan that includes all things. He is sovereign. He is the governor. It's not anyone down in D.C. or Harrisburg. He is the great governor. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. Wow, an old lady conceives. She had to have faith to trust it in her husband, carries, 
And we saw that. Faith, he struggled the whole nine months, three times, with morning sickness and all the rest. And the last with our Jonathan, you know, she was in bed for the last three months. And she was a young maiden compared to Elizabeth. Think of an older lady. What a shock that would be, right? I said that. Imagine that if that would happen in a nursing home. Man, wouldn't that be terrifying? You know, the ladies down at the clinic are probably, oh, my word, what's happened? You know, that was Elizabeth. Get the, get the story and the culture there that she was going to lose uh, the, uh, the lack of honor she had by not having a child in that ancient Jewish day. God was going to bless her with that. And then the deliverer. Wow, I've been there and witnessed that three times. Three's enough for me. Three times you're out. Isn't it funny? Guys don't have babies. Amen, guys. Aren't you glad we don't? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've seen the movie. No way. <laughs> That's horrifying. We did that down at the baby classes before our first baby service born. I was, I think I was speechless for the few days there. I'm going, wow, <laughs> wow, not me. That would end it. I think the human race would have ended right at there at the beginning. <laughs> God had showed the movie to Adam. He says, uh-uh, no, no. <laughs> no. We're not going there. <laughs> Stay away from me, woman, you know. <laughs> you think about those things, you know, in a sanctified way. Wow, well, you're going to have a baby. And she was enabled to do that. Furthermore, it wasn't like 50-50. It's going to be a boy or girl. No, guys, you're going to have a son. You notice that? You see, you get the idea that God means what he says, he says what he means, and he always keeps his word. You know, God never said, I don't know. Have you ever said that? Oh, I've taken a lot of exams where I sat there and like, Oh, I didn't know this was going to be on here. I don't know the answer to that trigonometry. I don't know. The those graphs and all that and speed and this and that and every other thing. Like, whoa, I don't know that. God never said, I don't know. Never. Because he knows his plan and it's perfect. It's a son. It's a son. B, this son would produce great joy. That was the promise made to Zechariah. And many would rejoice at his birth. And both near and far, this rejoicing would take place. Near, this is exactly what happened. In a little village there in the hill country, in the wayside, the old priest nearing retirement and his wife, you know, in a little place having a baby is quite an event. It's a community event. If any of you have ever lived in a small town, you know what I mean. You know, neighbors are very neighborly usually, and they... They don't know all your kids and family. It's like yesteryear. It used to be in our suburbial neighborhoods. It was a big affair. They all knew about it. They, 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 they did. Now, particularly since it was the old lady down the street that was pregnant. Oh, the ladies were just abuzz with the excitement that Elizabeth was going to have a child. Wow, what must all this mean? They were buzzing with it, the text tells us. Joy and rejoicing filled the place. That's near. And in far, can't we say the same thing? Even now, 20 centuries ago, we rejoice. And God always keeps his word. And that God had promised to send uh, this one to come. And uh, he was going to be born uh, by Elizabeth, fathered by Zechariah. 
and the church has rejoiced in the birth of John through 20 centuries of time. Wow. Well, God always keeps his word, always. All of his promises right down the line are fulfilled. See, at John's circumcision. Now, I, I think it's worthy to note that the angel said until that day, uh, he would be mute. Means that he probably couldn't hear and he couldn't speak. Now, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? All of a sudden, struck that way. Why? Because he didn't believe? Mute. Why do I say he was mute? Because, and not just simply lost his speech, because here in our text that we just read, when, when the neighbor folks wanted to, and they were putting pressure on Elizabeth, what do you mean? You want to name him John. Nobody in your family's named John. You want to name him Junior. Any of you juniors here? Yeah, you got a couple of juniors. My dad was a junior, right? A couple of juniors, right? They want to name him Junior. You don't want you, nobody named John. You want to name him Zacharias or Zachariah after his dad. That was very common for the firstborn, firstborn son to be named after his father in that day, and feeling the pressure on that. So they didn't like they didn't like Elizabeth's answer that she wanted to name him John. His, his name shall be John. So they, they go to the father, and they want to get uh, dad's opinion on the subject, even though he's been debilitated these last nine months with whatever happened in the temple. You can imagine what they're thinking. And so they come to him, and they simply don't ask him. They're going through charades, trying to you know, ask dad what he wants to name his son. And it doesn't happen. Uh, let me back up. Uh, this... The, his muteness does not end the day that John is born. It doesn't happen that day. It's eight days later. It's eight days later at this day, the day of circumcision, and that's this third amazing event when Zechariah received his voice back at John's circumcision, just as God said in chapter 1, verse 20, until the day you will be mute. Until that time. Right at that. wasn't wasn't like, you know, three weeks later, you know, two months later, now John's 10. Oh, oh, I didn't, boy, time flies. I didn't know he's t- right at the right moment. Again, I tell you, it's a simple little truth. But if we get it firmly in our heart, God says what he means, and he means what he says. He always keeps his word. And the closer you look at God's word, you will see it in the infinite detail there. It's amazing. It's a blessing. It will often encourage you. And now the old man, the old priest, was able, able to speak. Well, D, on a larger scale, God promised 400 years earlier, he promised to the nation Israel uh, that he would send one ahead of this coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus, as we know. God would send a preparer to get the people ready for the coming of his son. And Malachi 3.1 and Malachi is the last uh, book of the Old Testament, and there's a 400 period of silent years, and, and this is the last of the silence, and Malachi 3, and see, I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And in this prophetic utterance 400 years earlier, God, who always keeps his promise, promised to send one who would come and prepare the people 
for the coming of his son, even the Lord Jesus Christ. And the day finally came, and it was according to God's schedule. God did not forget his promise, but he sent John to be his messenger. God was getting ready to visit planet Earth in the incarnation of his son, and his people Israel needed to be prepared. In their sin and blindness and disobedience, they ended up under the Roman yoke. And they thought they needed a political deliverer, that that would solve all their answers. Sometimes we sense that in America today. If we just had the right political deliverers, nationally, state, and local, boy, wouldn't it be better then? Well, there is an ebb and flow, I understand that. But that's not your great need. It's not our people's great need. We need Christ the Lord, not a political solution. We need conversion and brokenness and tears of repentance and salvation. That's what we need in America again, to be restored, to be humbled. We strut about like the peacock in our pride and arrogancy. We get a little education. We live indoors with warm water and, and all the comforts of life. And somehow we deserve all this. We don't. We don't. So God was going to, according to his schedule, keep his word. God always does that. He always does, always keeps his word, his promises. You ever read your auto insurance policy? How about your homeowners? That's a sign of a slow day if you have time to read that stuff. I mean, we do. Faithy and I, you know, the mortgage company, you got to get so much coverage on your house. So it burns down, they get paid, right? Sort of works that way, right? But if you ever read it, you know, really read it. And there are all kinds of them, I know, HO1 and 2 and 3 and whatever they call them. And all risk, broad risk, no risk, forget the risk. I don't know what it is. You know, you read down through it, it's like a funnel, you know, and you find out unless the storm or fire hits on Thursday of the second month of the third year, I don't know if we got coverage, you know. You go, like, all this fine print's giving me a headache. Well, here's the good news. There's no fine print with God. None. You keep reading the policy. You'll never find the exclusions or the exceptions. And you know what? There's no deductibles or co-insurance, like your health insurance, right? Isn't that great? God always says what he means. It's covered. All risk. Wow. That's amazing. And Christ paid it all. I'm saying to you, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Teach it to everyone you know. God keeps his word. And you know what? If you're in Christ, you close your eyes in death, the best is yet to come. Why? Not because of you. Not because you look good or smell good. You do, sort of. Some of you do. It's not that. It isn't. It's because God keeps his word. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm telling you, that's going to be on my word, on my heart, mine, if I should be allowed to lay before the Lord comes and I still have my mind. Some of us lose our minds, right? There's a prepared place. There's a place with my name on it. God has said it. He never lies. He always keeps it. I'm forgiven. I'm free because of him. Oh, it's good news. And we see it throughout this whole narrative here. God keeps his word. There's a second truth. 
that discovered about God as we listen to the record of John's birth. You can't miss this in verse 62 and following. God uses the hard experiences of suffering to teach us to trust Him. He uses it. We're going to talk about it. The school of suffering. School's out for summer. Don't we have fun? We talk about that. Yay! We hate summer school. No way. Not for me, you know? For boys. Girls like school, typically. Guys, not so much. School's out for... The school of suffering. God has a purpose in that. And it's more useful than MIT or Harvard or Penn State. Go Lions, right? It's more valuable than that. The school of suffering. For God often needs to discipline us and train us and build us up. And he does it oftentimes through the school and the lessons and the classes during the experience of life of hard times and suffering. Though it never is pleasant, and I'm the last one to sign up for that, is that an elective or is that required? You know, is that in my program or I think I'm going this way, you know? God has a way of orchestrating all that. No, you're in this one. It's required, and I have some things I'm up to, and you need to step up to the plate. For God is producing in us Christ, the conformity to the image of our Savior. And oftentimes, if we respond rightly to it, now sometimes we don't, do we? We go the other way when hard times come. Sickness, illness, things in our family, things at work, things at school, they don't work. That's not the way I thought it would work out. Suffering, hard experience. And we go the wrong way. And we what? We fail. We fail. We fail. We all have. Gus is okay. It's remedial. Summer school. We got to repeat. Do I have to repeat again? Yes. You didn't get it. I remember third grade. We're going to learn long division. My mother had me scared to death in that. Oh, third grade's a big grade. It's far harder than second. What do you mean, Mom? You've got to learn long division. <gasps> What's that? I was terrified of it, you know? <laughs> like, what is this, you know? Oh, you've got to learn to carry and all that. Oh, no, here we go. It's funny how that goes back, and it comes back to me now when I'm preaching. Wow. <laughs> School's out for summer. Boy, we worked on that. I, did, I wanted to play ball in the summer. I didn't want to do remedial long division again. Oh, my <laughs> Respond rightly to God's experiences of suffering. God is up to something. Look at A. Zechariah, he was already a righteous man. He was one of God's priests. He was a good man, really. And, and God had, was molding him and making him. He had wonderfully saved him. Though it's never pleasant, uh, discipline and suffering, it usually produces good in us. But now, Zechariah, this righteous man, was going to learn now through discipline to trust his God even more. There in the temple, it revealed when God told him through Gabriel what he was going to do, and he's like, mm, mm, mm. How do I know that for sure? Mm, ha ha, F. It shoots and ladders. That's what it is. Down he's going. <laughs> I've been working to get all the way. No, you're going down. And what's that mean? You're not going to be able to speak for about nine months. Well, I'm a priest. You know what? If a pastor can't speak, I'm out of business. I'm up there doing, you know, what's he doing now? You know, shadows and stuff. He's, if I can't speak, Lord, what am I going to do? You know, nine months until this comes about. 
This is not saying that's more agony than I can endure. He was, he was going through the school of suffering in that experience. God was paddling him. It was the spanking that said, I love you. I remember as a young boy, my father was again disciplining my brother and I. I don't want to overwork that because sometimes you might think my father was a tyrant. You know, uh, he, was, he was a loving man, but boy, if you, if you disobeyed him, he was right there. But the reality is, as I thought about it, talked to my brother, we probably only got half the spankings we probably really deserved. <laughs> now, don't tell him, but that's probably true. But I remember one time we were lining up. My brother was oldest, so he went first. Usually it was two at a time. And he said, that, he made the statement that, you know what? I love you boys, and this hurts me more than it hurts you. And we mumbled something we probably shouldn't have mumbled at that moment, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I live long enough and you become a dad and you realize, like, this is really no fun to cause any sort of pain to your children. It's, you know, I, I, why, I think I finally understand, Dad, what you were talking about there, you know. I really needed that. I mean, I, who knows where I, I certainly would not be behind this desk now if God hadn't given me the Father to catch me in a number of times that I needed to be caught and called up short and feel the pain. You know, it's amazing. It's like politician. When you feel the heat, you see the light. Have you ever noticed that? You feel the heat, you see, ah, oh, I see what you're talking about. And the older we get, isn't it not true? The smarter our parents become. We go like, wow, each year I live, they get smarter and smarter. Because when you, we said such stupid things at that age, can't trust anyone over 30. That was the dumbest thing in all the world. We'd, we walk around like, yeah, peace, you know, like this guy, like, what is it? Fruitcakes. You remember that. You were all there, most of you. Yeah, I saw you. Anyway, here's Zechariah. He's balking. He's balking at God's promise. How do I know? I said that. I said that earlier, right? He went to biology class. She, her, she's, she's an old lady. Her womb's all withered. He passed, he, he passed biology, A plus, anatomy. But then he went down the hall of theology and he failed. He forgot that God is able. Just remind you again, a good way to remember that. God is able. He's the God of the impossible. Oh, you think that's something. That's nothing, God says. You wait and see what I'm going to do and what I'm up to. He balked at God's promise. Because of unbelief, God is going to discipline even this old aged Old Testament saint. Cause him to suffer. He couldn't speak. I don't know about his work. If he couldn't work, instantly became mute. Wow, in school of suffering, great learning. Well, B, after nine months at John's circumcision, he's born eight days later. That was the day prescribed. And did you know? that uh, medically we know that that's the perfect day uh, physiologically for a boy to be circumcised uh, with certain things going on in his body and, and all of that. Does that fit too, the detail there? God knew that. And so at John's circumcision, and you should know that you typically in this day it was the father that circumcised uh, the, the son and Zechariah, at his circle, is going to now prove his faith in God's promise when he named his son John. God had done a work in his life. I love it. In the text, and you don't see it in the English, but when they came to, to Zechariah, they said, well, you know, 
what, what, what are you going to name your son? And you're doing the charades and all that. And in, in, the, in the original language, John's name is first. He doesn't say, and he shall be called John. It's John, I think I put it down on your, on your John is his name. I mean, for emphasis' sake. No peer pressure there. He resisted the crowd and, uh, and, and made that. And instantly, instantly, uh, he wrote that, and then instantly he could speak. Well, God does this with us, doesn't he? He brings hard experience in our lives to make us grow. It's that Romans 8.28. Don't we love that verse? We have that on the, I think we have that up here on our, here it is, look on the screen up here. Romans 8.28, you should all memorize this, and we know that in all things, in all things, the hard times, the suffering, the school of suffering, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is working. God is working, and we can take comfort and encouragement in that, that God is up to something. He's not forgotten us. He's not lost us. He's not lost your faith. He knows all about it. He's constructing and building in you. You are his building project that he's creating, Christ Jesus in you. Let me tell you just something about circumcision since it's mentioned here. John MacArthur writes about this and does a nice job with it. But God had ordered for the nation of Israel that all the males were to be circumcised. At that time, according to the custom, it wasn't prescribed by the word, uh, the, uh, the son's name at a circum- was given at that uh, ceremonial uh, circumcision. There are really three benefits of circumcision. You can flip your sheet over and write on it or in the margin or somewhere. There's, first of all, there's a health benefit to it, and God knew that and prescribed it. The risk of infection is much lower uh, being passed to the woman has in, uh, in intercourse, and you should know, historically, in reading different medical doctors, Christians, Jewish women have a far lower uh, chance of cervical cancer because of the lower risk of infection. But there's, beyond the health benefit, there's the second, it was a sign of the Abrahamic covenant. It was a mark of Israel's national identity. You look at uh, Leviticus and you see all the dietary laws beyond health benefits. It was, it was to make them a pe- peculiar and a uniquely distinct people in a pagan Canaanite world. And so God was setting them apart. And the, and the circumcision was a sign uh, upon the boy that he was a son of the covenant, Abraham's covenant, Jewish. The third and this touches all of us, is that circumcision served as a spiritual object lesson. It does in this way. It graphically illustrates man's need, men and women's need for cleansing from the depravity of sin. This depravity of sin is passed to each generation through procreation. And so God uh, put a mark uh, through circumcision on the male as the seed is passed, uh, reminding us of this great spiritual lesson <clears throat> of our sin bent that we pass on, and hence our need of regeneration and salvation 
and conversion. Well, the second lesson, God uses the hard experiences of suffering to teach us to trust him. And he does that in your life. And I don't know what experiences that God has had in your life. I know some of them, not all, I know that for sure. And I don't know what tomorrow will bring, or tomorrow tomorrows. But I know that we live in a fallen world. And I know that stuff happens. And oftentimes, we don't see it. Like, I never saw it. It was a curveball. And the pain and the suffering of those that we love and those that are around us, and the tears that are shed, be encouraged. In the school of suffering, maybe it's discipline. Maybe it's just living life in a fallen world where stuff happens, and it wasn't directly related to your disobedience. Know this, that God is up to something. He's not finished with you. You're not ready for heaven yet if you know Christ. And bit by bit, day by day, he's making you more and more and more like Christ. He's making you holy and godly. That you will, your heart will beat after the things that his heart beats after. That you'll not love the world or the things of the world. And all the things of the world are going to pass away. That you'll love the Lord more and more and more. That we would see and people would see Christ in you. That's what God is up to. And so these experiences Zechariah knew teach us to trust him more and more. Well, there's a third and final truth that we discover. God always keeps his word. The school of suffering is always for our good, to develop Christ in us, to teach us to trust him. And finally, third, God always delights when we praise him. And so fill, fill your words and your thoughts and your praise to him. Fill your days with praising him and giving thanks. God is to be blessed, to be honored with our lips. Psalm 22, he inhabits the praises of his people. And so Zechariah, finally God on the right moment, right at that time where he announces in trusting God, his name is John, just as the angel had told him now Zechariah subscribes to it in faith. And instantly, it's like Old Faithful. Have you ever seen Old Faithful? Yellowstone National Park. How many of you have been out there and have seen it? One, two, oh, look, about, about six or seven of you. And uh, that's right on a time. It's, I've never seen it, but it's right on. You can set your watch kind of mark to it. Pretty close, yeah. Well, right at the right moment, Old Faithful, not Old Faithful, but the old man, he just... There he gushes. He gushes with praise to God. And in fact, the first word out of his mouth in the text, it says praise in verse 68 in the NIV. It's the word blessed. The first word out of his mouth is blessed. Hence, we get the title of the sermon today in the Latin. It's Benedictus. It's blessed. He blesses God for what God has done in his life, and the life and sending a Savior in his life of he and his wife, and giving them a son. He praises God. And God, I'm reminded, is delighted when we praise him. How oftentimes he's not with the things that you and I muse and think about. We go, oh my. Or the things we say and we shouldn't say. And the things that we just say normally and that are okay. 
It's hard for us to imagine God, and He hears everything. We, in Him we live, move, and have our being. It's not like He's away, far away, and doesn't know. He knows it all. He knows every word even before I speak it, Psalm 139. And the Bible tells us when God calls us to sing and to rejoice, think of all the Psalms. He invites us, He commands us to rejoice in the Lord and to sing unto Him. It's amazing that God should delight in hearing us bless Him or honor Him or give thanks to Him. It's, uh, it's amazing God would be moved at all at anything that I should say or that you should say. But the truth of it is He is. And Zechariah, under the control of the Spirit of God, verse 67, gushes forth this song of praise, the song of blessing, the Benedictus. It's amazing. This A, uh, nine months of pent-up praise. What would happen if you couldn't speak for, for a period of time? What would be the first thing you would say? You know, in the Middle Ages, uh, there in some of the monasteries, it's kind of strange for us when we think about it and read it, that uh, uh, they would go in and they'd take a vow of silence. And they wouldn't speak for, for years and years. And I know a lot of ladies think they're married to that guy. You know, he never says anything, you know. There was one guy that uh, was silent for years and years. And then finally the day came, and they couldn't wait to hear the first thing out of his mouth. I'm sorry to tell you, I don't remember what it was. But uh, they, they were all wondering, what would he say? It's similar like when someone's dying, right? What's the last thing dad said? What's the last thing mom said, right? You want to catch every word. Well, here, silence, after nine months, gushing forth like old faith, he praises God with his lips, and God is pleased. The first word is blessed out of his mouth. No bitterness. No bitterness. He had learned to trust God in a deeper, more wonderful way, and his heart was right. How do I know that? Because your tongue is a tattletale. Now, I grew up hearing nobody likes a tattletale, right? Don't you teach your kids that? You're tattling on your sister. You're tattling on your brother. Hey, Daddy, you know what happened? Da, da, da. Nobody likes a tattletale. And we know what that is, and we say that, right? And we teach that. But did you know that little one-pound piece of flesh in your mouth is a tattletale? It tells a tale on your, on your heart every single time it waves in the wind. And there's sometimes it shouldn't be waving because all's not right in your heart. It's a tattletale. Out of the, Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. And so how do I know that Zechariah's heart is right? He passed. He passed that suffering school, that class, because he's blessing and praising God in, in this wonderful song. There's no bitterness. It's beautiful. Did he, was it spontaneous? Was, did he write it during the nine months? Believing God would allow him to speak again? We don't know. In any event, it's filled with blessing and praise. And B, he sings a song of thanksgiving to God, the Benedictus. He blesses both God and he pronounces a blessing upon his son, his, his, his son John. God is blessed, number one, as he is about to fulfill his covenantal promises to Israel through Jesus. In verses 68 through 75, the three covenants. Now, a covenant is a biblical sacred promise that God makes to, uh, to men, uh, and in this case, to Abraham. The three that deal with salvation, 
uh, our uh, Abraham's covenant, David's covenant, and to Jeremiah, the new covenant. Far different than the covenant God made at Sinai with Moses. The covenants, the three that we're looking at, that, that Zechariah touches on in his song of praise and thanksgiving, uh, deal with God's moving towards our salvation, and particularly the salvation of the nation Israel. God always keeps his word, and it was time for, to the fulfillment of these covenants. Uh, you see shadows of the Davidic covenant. In fact, David is even mentioned in this song. In 2 Samuel 7, 13-14, God had promised uh, that uh, he would provide David a son. And we see it on the screen. Uh, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I'll establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he'll be my son. And when he does wrong, I'll punish him. He's dealing. There was a near and far reference here that David makes, uh, looking at Solomon then and then beyond to the son of David. It's no wonder at Christmas time then we see Mary and Joseph make their way to the city of what? The city of David. Yeah, that's right. In, in fulfillment of the line and lineage of David, that greater son who would come, Jesus, the promised seed. Well, this has international uh, uh, interest in its scope, that the Lord, this one of David, would come, this king, and he would rule over the entire world. It's international. It's global. It's the nation of Israel, but more. And we have yet to see that. That has not happened yet. One day the Lord will come, and the curse will be reversed, and he will rule and reign on, uh, on his father's throne. It will be great. It will be wonderful. If you know Christ, you're going to be there, and he will reign. Wow. He touches on the Abrahamic covenant, and he mentions his name, Abraham, that Jesus would be the seed who would rescue Israel from all their enemies. This was national in scope. And finally, there's elements of the new covenant uh, in Jeremiah 31, that Jesus would deal with a new heart and the sin issue with Israel, and we participate in that as a part of the church, the spiritual elements of the new covenant, the new heart and dealing with sin and forgiveness. You can have a new kingdom and it can be international. You can be the, the seed, the promised one of, of Abraham and still have a huge problem, see. It would be the dealing of the sin problem, your great problem. It's not your wallet or your lack of money, your personality, or you can't shoot basketball very good or or this or that or every other. Your great problem, mine, is sin. And the new covenant promises, I will write within their hearts a new heart and a new disposition. It sounds like Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all is new. It enables us with a new heart through the Spirit of God to serve him in holiness and righteousness. And that's what he's talking about exactly in his wonderful, wonderful uh, song. <clears throat> God blesses the Lord Jesus. But more than that, he blesses, he continues in the lesser part, the latter part, he blesses as a father would in that ancient day, pronounces a blessing on John, his firstborn, and he recognizes and understands John's role as the promised one leading the way for Jesus. It was to be the day of God's visit. 
in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, the morning star, who would come and shine his light of salvation into the hearts of, of dark darkness and death and about people that are simply waiting for death to devour. It would be the light of the gospel of his son, the morning star. Well, lessons for our life, number one. Let me urge you, if you have never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've never been saved, I don't know your testimonies. Every one of you. I've heard a number of yours, but if you've never come to the point, realize that you're a sinner born in sin and you sin, and because of that, God is holy, God is just, you will die. Hell is a long time. Not my opinion. I didn't make it up. I'm the delivery guy, like the guy that brought your paper today. This is God's word, and you're not right, and I'd like to share heaven with you. You need to confess your sin and turn from it and receive Christ. Praying a simple prayer, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and my God. In the quietness of this moment, if you acknowledge that in your heart, based upon the authority of God's word, you will be saved. Whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord should be saved. It's your greatest need. Don't delay. Step off a curb. Get hit by a bus today. Don't say manana. Tomorrow's a better day. You don't know if you have tomorrow. You really don't. Number two, be encouraged. Be encouraged, I say to you. I am. It encourages me in my heart. As a dad, I always tried to keep my word, but I didn't always. Sometimes I let my kids down. Didn't mean to, but I worked longer. Something came up, or I wasn't able to. Be encouraged. God is not like us. He always keeps his word. He is trustworthy. Trust him for everything, great and small. Rest your head on the pillow of that truth, and you will sleep well. No matter what befalls you, Jesus doeth all things well. He always keeps his word, always. Number three, know that God's school of suffering has a great purpose. God hasn't forgotten you, and in the heat of the fire and in the, in the experiences of trouble, God has a way of peeling back the hard layers of your heart and mine. He's able to speak to us. I had an old Sunday school teacher used to say, some people are so hard-hearted and hard-headed, God has to get them in a hospital bed where they're looking straight up at him. And then when he speaks, they're ready to hear. That's not bad. That sort of says it in a lot of venues. It doesn't always have to be your health or the health of someone else but it is pretty uh, graphic. I mean, they don't, have you noticed most of the time people in hospital beds aren't face down? Have you thought of that? They're face up. And there may be more there than just uh, for illustration purposes. Are you listening? I'm up to something, and it's good. And I always tag Romans 8.28 with that. I'm working together that which is good. You may not see it, but I'm Trust me, it's good. Number four, genuine faith always, always expresses itself in jubilant praise. Give praise to God and thank Him. Fill your days with it. Go about mumbling. Look for God's goodness and great things, but mostly the small things. 
and sing as you drive and in the shower and as while you're by yourself or together or with your families or sing with your mates or friends. Sing and make music unto the Lord. God is pleased with that. You know how few people sing to God? Most people don't. Most people don't. You can be one of the few, not one of the proud, but you can be one of the few. Sing to the Lord. Or it's just, I hear that. Oh, that pleases me. I remember when our kids would sing when they were little. How beautiful, though. Sarah would be in her room singing a song she learned in Sunday school or this and that. It was so beautiful. How beautiful it is when God hears us sing, when he hears our lips, praise him with gratitude. Don't save it all up for Thanksgiving Day. Do you do that? Don't do that. Do it every day, all day long. God is pleased. Number five and last, God has saved you, and he has saved you to serve. You're not saved to sit on the bench. You're saved to serve. God wants you to serve, not to be a consumer, just to take, 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 take. That's sort of the American way. That's sort of the reason we're in half the problem we're in or more. Give me more, give me more, give me more. No, we need some, but then don't be like the Dead Sea. It just takes, it never gives out. God wants you and he wants me to serve. There's the thing, what are you doing to serve? We, have, we need you to serve here in all kinds of venues. We need your help in so many ways. We get something, come in. we ought to have 10 people rush to say, here I am, use me, please, 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 train me, teach me, I'm here. We need you. We serve as we gather, we serve as we scatter, serve. You're called servants of Jesus Christ if you're saved, right? Serve. You are a servant. We're not ruling and reigning. Don't be a consumer, be a giver and serve. Well, that's the Benedictus. If you learn that, you learn some Latin today. Some say, well, what do you learn at church? Well, I learned some Latin today. Benedictus. Well, what in the world does that mean? It means we're supposed to bless God. Bless Him. Why? Because He always says what He means and means what He says. And you know, when hard times come, I learn that God is up to something, and it's good. And you know, beyond that, God hears me when I praise Him. I just bless His name. Ah, oh, may we be that kind of people. 